0: Hello and welcome back to the CA Catalyst podcast, Small Firm, Big Impact. I'm your host, John Skull, Chief Executive at Malik McLean. In this episode of Small Firm, Big Impact, we'll be looking at environmental, social and governance, or ESG. You may have seen that investor, regulator and community expectations are driving increased awareness and action on ESG performance for business and corporations, both locally and globally, and this interest is expected to grow considerably over the next decade. So what are the most effective ways accountants can add value and have an impact in the ESG space? Adding to the important role that accountants can play in achieving environmental sustainability. With me to share their expertise, Darren Scammell, former President of Chartered Accountants Australia New Zealand and partner at Grant Thornton, and Ants Rowan, Director at Fairground Limited. Ants, Darren, welcome to you both. Okay, Thanks, John. I'd love to start with a quick update on the spaces you're currently working in. Darren, you're a few years out of being CA President, What have you been up to recently?
1: Yeah, so I had 20 years as a partner at one of the big four firms and uh, now find myself at one of the big six firms at, at Grant Thornton. I'm head of financial services for the Victorian office here in Australia for Grant Thornton, helping our consultants, our tax guys with financial services industries consulting. I'm actually based in audit, doing internal and external audit in the financial services space.
0: And Ants, you've got quite a unique story surrounding your career. Can you fill us in briefly on how you got so involved with ESG?
2: Yeah, I guess I was working away in business advisory services at a firm here in Christchurch, New Zealand, and had been doing so for a few years. Well, it was always nice being able to provide advice to clients and help them with their taxes. Another side of my life is I was running a youth charity. So I kind of felt like I had two parts of my life pulling me apart, really, at a moment of almost burnout i got this unique opportunity, someone seeded an idea of why don't you do accounting for businesses that are trying to have impact in the world. And that kind of brought those two loves of my life together into one. So it was just a complete fluke. That was about nine years ago now. Well,
0: what a great story. Thanks, team. It's great to have guests of your calibre here today on our podcast. And for those listening who might be new to ESG, Darren, could you please give us a brief explainer?
1: What exactly is ESG? it is around that environmental, social and governance. So these are factors that investors can use to assess whether they should invest in companies. And in fact, you can assess a country about its ESG as well, how well it does in those environmental, social and governance factors. So it's happening a lot in the marketplace, particularly superannuation that I specialize in. You know, a lot of people are looking to say, you know, I'd like to actually be better with my money and there are companies that are investing startups into startups and one way of assessing as to how well that company is run from an ESG perspective is to use these factors and make that assessment. So what are the sustainable and societal impacts that this business is having or is planning to have once you've made that investment?
0: We're doing a bit of background reading and according to Harvard Business Review the future
2: of ESG is
0: accounting. What do you think about the statement and why?
2: Ants. I think accountants are in the most appropriate and unique position to be able to support clients to incorporate ESG into their reporting or into their organisation. I mean, we're already there as a trusted advisor. We're already there helping them measure their financials and helping them measure their taxes. Just natural next step is that we're also helping them measure their environmental impact, their social impact, their cultural impact. I think we're just, we're so well positioned to do it and we've already got the relationship with clients. It makes sense that we're the ones that help along that journey. The word accounting is meaning to account for and
1: everyone thinks accounting is just financial, but it's not just financial. If you're held to account, you can account for Environmental issues that you have, or how your environmental practices, what are your social practices, how you deal with the community, particularly in the startup space, and what you do with the money you provide to not-for-profits, for example. Governance: How well are you governed is not an accounting premise, but you can be held account for it. I said is how you report this information, and you're exactly right, Ants. Accountants are really well placed to gather this information because they already follow an accounting framework; they're actually used to dealing dealing with numbers in a framework, let's deal it in a reporting sense.
0: Darren, can you please tell me how integrated reporting works and how you see
1: it being used? Really the passion I have at the moment is actually ensuring that some integrated reporting is being used at this SME entity. So integrated reporting is a principles-based reporting. It's a global methodology where you report an entity using six capitals, which we can talk about later, but it's really being used at the big end of town. I'm seeing not-for-profits in particular and SMEs are starting to follow the principles of integrated reporting, which links into ESG, which links into sustainability accounting standards as well, and starting to report that in a following the principles, you know, so at that small end. Integrated reporting is a way of promoting a more cohesive and efficient approach to corporate reporting. It aims to prove the quality of information available to providers of financial capital and enables a more efficient and productive allocation of capital. That's at the what is integrated reporting. An integrated report is concise communication about how an organization's strategy, its governance, its performance, importantly, its prospects in the context of its external environment lead to the creation of value over the short medium, longer term. So what's the purpose of a, an integrated report? It provides people that are providing financial capital, how an organisation creates value over time. So an integrated report, it's for all stakeholders interested in the organisation's ability to create this value. Employees, customers, suppliers, business partners, local communities, legislators, I, I believe everybody should be interested in an integrated report, which follows the integrated reporting principles they're the, the who, the what, the with and the how, which is your strategy, your value drivers and your key business processes. Darren, would you like to see it legislated? Not yet. It has been legislated in South Africa. So all listed companies in South Africa have to follow integrated reporting principles. And that's been the case now for some time, five, six, seven years. In Australia, I would like ASIC to be able to say it's recommended. And I think that would make people do it. I don't want SMEs to be forced down this space. They have to realise that this is for their benefit, but if they were to be added this, what they might see as a compliance burden, they may not want to do it. So where do you draw the line? At which size company? Do they have to have integrated reporting? I would like it to be that people actually see the benefit of doing it and therefore they'll bring it on board. A really important development has happened internationally and that's the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board and the International Integrated Reporting Council are merging to become the Value Reporting Foundation. One of the issues that's existed is that there's been a lot of these types of standard, like the SASB and the IRC and its integrated reporting. So there's a bit of confusion in the marketplace. I'm really pleased to see that the Value Reporting Foundation's been created So that reporting as ESG, we're talking about, or SASB and the IRC will come under the one banner now internationally. And I think that'll really help with the reporting going forward.
0: Darren, do you think that the premise of where you actually come from when you adopt this philosophy to try and report is really important? And getting buy-in at a board level or governance level, whether it's an SME or a large company, is also really important?
1: I fully agree. It was October last year, the business reporting group in Australia was meeting. There was 120 people and their responsibility for integrated reporting in Australia. And in that meeting, I sent a note to a good friend of mine on that board. I said, Michael, one of the issues is this is being used by 40 of the top largest companies in Australia, And there's two and a half million entities out there that aren't using integrated reporting or following integrated reporting, and I think they should be. He said, right, you put your money where your mouth is. I'm now chairman of the Significant Issues Group under the BRLF. And what I'm trying to do and really get the message out there, it's not just for the big end of town. It's really important for small businesses who are looking to raise capital, who are looking to report to their employees, who are seeking donations. They might reporting to the government. They might be seeking debt from a bank. If they were to follow the principles of integrated reporting, it makes it so much easier for them, actually easy for the banks to lend to them or investors to invest in them. So I can see a real opportunity for SMEs in particular and not for profits to follow this framework linked again to ESG you know they can be reporting on ESG within the integrated reporting framework and that's much more clarity it's not just about reporting it's also about thinking in an integrated way as well I think there's a real scope for smaller businesses to be doing this.
0: For a lot of our listeners this will be the first time they've actually heard about this concept. Where would they actually start and where would they actually focus their attention first? Ants have you
2: got some ideas? I'm thinking of it from a real uh, small startup business perspective. A lot of it comes down to really thinking along the lines of what is their impact? What is the problem they're trying to solve out there beyond just making a return for shareholders? And especially in the, I guess, the social enterprise space, we're working with businesses which have been set up specifically for the purpose to help solve a social or environmental problem, and they've wrapped a business model around it. So understanding that impact model and being able to put some form of reporting and measurement around it is so important at that bottom end. But of course, we're not talking here about a standard that's universal across all businesses, because these could be metrics which are very specific to this industry or this type of organisation. Whereas I think integrated reporting is starting to get us all talking on a very similar page. I want entities to start thinking
1: in, a, in a, and reporting with just the, the what, the with, and the how. If we just start at that level and say, what is your strategy? What is the purpose of your business? What are your objectives? What are your KPIs? What are your risks and opportunities at the first level? So that's the what, and small entities can do all that. What is your strategy? I'd like to know that if I'm a potential investor or a donor, I'd like to see that up front. What's the strategy? What's your KPIs? What are your performance indicators? Then you can actually go with what do you do to meet the strategy? What's your working capital? What's your property? What's your brand? What are your customers? What's your employee engagement? What are your natural resources you have access to? Report that to me so that I can see it in a clear way. That's the with. And then there's the how. So how do you use those assets or the capitals that you're doing the what with? And that's what's your governance? How do you manage your strategy? What are your core business processes? It's that sort of thing. So it's really the what, the with, and the how. If you can report that in a clear and concise way, I reckon that'd be really helpful for these smaller enterprises.
2: And it feels like that's like the real basis of what should be like a real basic business plan for most startups. Because I know like so many busy trying to make the business model work, trying to get through those first year or two of business. I mean, the idea of even measuring impact or thinking of the environmental or social impact, it's just, it's almost beyond them. They're just saying, look, I just want, I just want to survive. I want to be able to bring home some money. But you can bake that in from day one. And and a lot of new startup businesses are already thinking about that, especially with the younger generation coming through. Like I do some mentoring out at the university for startup businesses, and I'd say probably two-thirds of them, without even thinking about it, are trying to run an entity, trying to run a new business that has some sort of impact to what it's doing. They're already thinking about what does this business have, what impact is it having on the world.
0: So if I could summarise up what you've just said, You're telling that people need to be telling the story around the numbers, not just letting the numbers tell the story?
2: Fully agreed.
1: And it's not just numbers. It's about the quality of the employees. I love the story of a brewery that's on a river. If you brew on the river, you've got clear and clean water. That's what probably makes your beer fantastic. We'll report that you know, explain that. What's your strategy? We'll use the water in the best way to deliver the best beer for you. And some companies have got that. They understand that, but they don't
2: necessarily report it. I guess you've got the financial reporting and you can talk to that and you can tell a little bit more about what's behind the financials and why it did so well this year and why we spent more here and what does that ratio mean. But what about all the things that don't get reported by the financials? How happy are your staff? What sort of contribution have you made back to your community? If you're using a local resource like a waterway, have you done anything to help clean the waterway? Or like all of these things help build a picture. And going back to your point, help tell the story about the organisation and why it exists. And like you say, for an investor, for a lender, for any stakeholder of the company, to know that information makes it way more attractive To want to be a part of. And the financial information, unfortunately, is sometimes
1: six months old. You know, it's last year's information that we're reporting on, and really you're investing into the future, aren't you?
0: I can see that there's going to be a lot of ethical advantages to this type of reporting, but some accountants might ask, why make the effort if there's no visible financial benefit to the bottom line? Do you think this view will change over time as more and more stakeholders look towards this type of reporting?
1: A friend of mine is the Auditing Standards Board in Australia and she will tell you that the number one issue that's being discussed in the Auditing Standards Board is non-financial information. We've had issues. Some countries don't like the concept of integrated reporting because they are worried about putting future information into the report and talking about KPIs and investors come in and you don't meet that strategy or don't follow the strategy or don't meet the KPIs or you haven't identified all the risks, for example, appropriately and they lose their money, then they might get sued. I look at the other one, I think that it's actually turned. If you don't put that information into the financial statements, explain to existing investors or potential investors or banks or employees who might come work for you, what the risks are, what your strategy is, I think you're more at risk. Because if something does go
2: wrong, you didn't tell them about it. So I think the world is turning in that regard. And I think there's definitely a business case there, I think we've seen some of the stats coming back as saying that those that report more on their non-financial metrics that are being more transparent about whether that transparency is about how well we've done or how badly we've done, they're actually creating more of a return for the investors and they're getting more attraction from investors. People are looking for those sorts of organisations versus those that are hiding that information and you're not sure about what's actually behind there.
1: Absolutely. I think it's not been like probably the big end of town so there's big corporates are doing it in Australia because they can see the benefit of it definitely slow at the SME not-for-profit space I mean who has the time to go on the four-week training course? Who has the big back office to gather the information? Who has the, the interest from their boards to be seeking this information? Because it's a bit of a fear factor. Where I'm coming from, I really want to simplify it. So it, it's not hard, guys. If you start following the with, the what and the how, as simple as that, your reports will be better. And if you start thinking with what and how, your business will become better as well. That's why perhaps it's been slow because of the fear factor.
0: So Darren, what would you say to those people listening now that do have that fear factor? Where's the first point? Where do they start?
1: I think doing some research, there's some really good papers out there on integrated reporting. There's discussion groups being had. I've attended three discussion groups trying to spread the word. I think the next phase is going to be examples. So you'll start hearing about entities that have adopted integrated reporting so that that can be shared. It's in their interest as well. So they're getting the message out there that here, we're following integrated reporting. We've got a model that's being applied. And here are our counts. Don't they look really good? So I don't think there's any fear or shame in providing that information. But I think it's going to take a little while. You can't force any of these companies to do it. They just have to realise to themselves that they need to do it. And I'd like to get to some audit committee chairs, if you've got an audit committee or some boards, or I've been talking to a couple of the banks as well, because the banks would like this information to be provided to them rather than them extracting it from the business if they're going to lend to them. So I think the discussion's out there and it's happening more and more.
0: Darren, are there places that accountants can go to get templates around this, to get some guidance around how they should actually put this information together?
1: Templates don't exist, and it's a debate we've had. If you're a true believer in integrated reporting at the higher end of town, by definition you shouldn't create a template. As Ants mentioned before, every business is different. You should be reporting your information in a different way but I think smaller entities need a bit of help. So I'm actually working up just a really high level template. It'll say, here's our strategy, here's our purpose, right? Enter it in here. Here's our value drivers. What is your working capital? What is your debt and equity? What property do you have? What plant do you have to provide the manufacturing information? That's the manufacturing capital. And then what is your board governance? So you can actually have a little bit of a template there, but I don't want to type in words that people will just use because that defeats the purpose. You're not thinking in an integrated way that way.
0: And hence, what are you seeing on the ground level of business? Are they starting to use this integrated reporting? Not
2: through some of the clients I've been working with, but that's probably more so because I'm working at the sort of real startup end of town. And also, I guess, New Zealand's probably a bit of a lagger behind Australia as well. Australia's got a lot more larger organizations and probably more leading the way here. But what I do find is that organizations that are developing an impact model for themselves, if they're looking at it beyond just a business case of this will help our bottom line, it's a marketing tool. They're able to share their story. They're able to go out. There's been some fantastic crowdfunding campaigns where they've met their target in hours, just gone gangbusters, because they've been able to tell such a compelling story about why they exist and what impact they're trying to have. By the way, we're selling soap. You start with the why and people get involved. People are looking for ways to support organisations like this as well. And it
1: doesn't have to be a 200-page report. I've actually seen some examples at the bigger end of town of a picture. A cartoon drawing of what you do can often tell a thousand stories. How many branches do you have? How many people do you have? Draw it on a page. Show with the detail You know how many donations going out. I've seen some really clever ways of describing a business in an easy-to-understand and easy-see way using pictures.
0: Ants, what I've just heard you say is that there are plenty of businesses that you work with that are telling these stories. And Darren, you're saying that there's a lot of great examples where the big end of town have done some wonderful, creative, expansive reporting models. Do you think, Ants, that the smaller businesses would thrive or be able to tell these stories a lot better if they had something to follow?
2: I think if there's standards, some templates, probably just more guidance than templates. I think if they knew they were working to a bit more of a unified Like, I can compare my business against a top business or myself against last year or myself against my competitor down the road. That offers a bit more of a compelling reason to want to do it as opposed to we're doing this for ourselves and our stakeholders because we want to be able to be transparent and tell our story. We're now kind of going a bit wider into public as a whole.
0: I'd love to give you a quote now from Karen McWilliams, the CAANZ business reform leader. She said the COVID-19 pandemic has shown us the extreme consequences of non-financial risks in businesses, entire industries and global economies. But if we can learn any lesson, it's that we need to take non-financial risks seriously. What would you say to this, Darren?
1: I specialise in banking and finance and it's APRA coming out at the moment with non-financial risk focus as they measure the risks of organisations and assess the importance of those organisations to the whole of the banking sector, insurance, superannuation. I couldn't agree more. I really think that we need to improve our non-financial measures and assessment. I think we need to report it, obviously, a a bit more, but it's not just for investors and banks. The Zapra saying they would like to see more of this information so that they can assess more accurately the risks of a business rather than just financial. I agree.
0: And Ant, are you seeing this in the small to medium-sized businesses that you're dealing with?
2: Yeah, at a very basic level, one of the things that happened in New Zealand is there was actually some funding available for businesses that were affected by COVID to help them um, do things like get some HR support, do some cash flow planning. And one of the big ones that we've been helping clients with has been around business continuity planning. So for a small business who's just focused on getting through the year and getting through day to day, I don't think many of them had thought beyond that and going, what would be the risk to my organisation if, and COVID has given them that opportunity to go, ah, a pandemic. And now we're also saying, well, what else could there be? What else could happen? Where are the trends in the world going? When's that uh, Alpine Fault going to rupture down the South Island? How's that going to affect your business? Climate change is quite a big and obvious one. Where I guess, in New Zealand where there's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of, we've been quite vocal about it. We've already seen some local councils starting to put marks on certain properties if their their property is going to be affected by sea level rise. And so that's causing disruption or distress for some people, but it's starting the conversation. So yeah, definitely seeing climate change is, is the biggest one. But then of course, out of that comes things like moving towards a zero carbon future. And we're just trying to say, well, what more can we do but we're not just saying from a national government level, but what more can we do as a business and on an individual level? Because business can be the driver for those changes.
0: A lot of these non-financial risks are just being discovered by small to medium-sized businesses. They've never really had to think about them before. Darren, what do you think some of the major roadblocks are to people identifying what those non-financial risks might be?
1: I think it's just experience, isn't it? In fact, I'm invested in a startup business, very small. It's a cocktail syrup business. And off we went. We had the cocktail guy with fantastic concept and an idea. We we found a, a hole in the market, so we filled the hole in the market. We hoped, and then along came the the pandemic. And our biggest purchaser was Qantas, right? So 60% of our sales was to a, an airline, and we just opened up the international shipping. So right in uh, cruise liners, right? So we had to shift really quickly. God, who thought that that would happen? We never saw it coming, but we've been able to shift and we've gone more online and all that sort of thing. So we've survived, and thanks to government support around JobKeeper and that sort of thing's helped us. But yeah, we had to pivot pretty quickly. But as a small business, you, you don't think about these things. And I, there's the old adage, isn't there? I've been goodness in business for 34 years as an accountant. I remember years ago, they used to say that, um, and I'll get it wrong, but it was. 75% of all businesses fail within five years and 75% of them fail for cash flow problems, right? And that's because the business owner, he or she, have got this wonderful idea, but they don't have an accountant sitting beside them, right, to help them out or they haven't accessed the, the finance that they need. They haven't explained the case. So it's just non-financial information come from left field. You have to be ready for it. do
0: you think this is a prime opportunity for chartered accountants to take advantage of that trusted relationship that they do have with their clients i mean quite often they come to us for compliance based activities but with the pandemic and the spotlight that's been shone on these non-financial risks Do you think there's more of a case now for these trusted advisors to really make a difference in their clients' businesses and talk to them more about the non-financial risks and also the opportunities that emerge out of those risks? Because if you can identify these risks early enough, you can create new niches for yourself as a business owner, can't you?
1: I see two sides of this, right? So you've got the accountants that are actually working in the business. They can help their business to be thinking in an integrated way, to be measuring the ESG that we're talking about and to report on that because they have used to following a framework around accounting. They can actually use frameworks now to do that reporting. Then there's the other side of the fence for our chartered accountants who are actually in practice who can actually advise their clients how to do this in a better way. I can actually see an opportunity to win new clients, right? So you become really good in a particular industry at understanding the what, the with and the how. And you can
2: actually go out and win new clients. It's going from that looking backwards approach from a compliance tax return perspective and really looking forward. And I think out of the back of COVID, I saw a lot of clients approaching us saying, look, we really want to see what the next six months look like. And The value in such a simple thing to them was amazing. Like just the sense of relief of going, well, it doesn't look good, but at least I know where I'm going. And then being able to go back to them six months later and go, great. So how did we go compared to how we forecasted here? But I think fundamentally, it's opening up to business advisory. going beyond just doing the compliance and doing some true business advisory and you're really thinking about the future managing the risks and looking beyond just how are we going to perform financially but how are we going to perform in these other sectors as well
1: i forgot one really important element to this and and that is around compliance i mean there's a big opportunity for accounting firms to provide assurance around this. So that's certainly happening at the bigger end of town. I don't want to frighten off the SMEs about more audit fees if needed. And I know the small end of town don't need auditors, but who's going to assure this? And this is to your point about and asking me whether it should be mandated. If things become mandated, then there's going to be the assurance to be provided around that. So that could be an added cost to business if that was to occur.
0: In one of our earlier episodes, we had Chaz, President come on and speak about the three-tenths of time that accountants tend to work in the past, the present, and the future. And all too often we're spending a lot of time in the past. Ants, do you think that with this new integrated reporting that we'll see a real shift within our own industry towards having these discussions more often with our clients?
2: Yeah, it would have to be, right? We're thinking about, we're talking about future opportunities, future risks, different capitals that could impact performance. It really is about being an accountant for the future, not being just an accountant for the past, Because we still have to acknowledge that compliance is still important and it's still valuable to our clients, but it's then going beyond that.
1: I think what's happening too in the marketplace is that as we become more and more automated, there is a less need for accountants as such or financial controllers. I'd like accountants to become more like CFOs and more responsible for the future of the business and directing where the business should be going and reporting on that. As more and more automation occurs, we're spending less time doing the reconciliations and the the manual books and that sort of thing. So where's the opportunity lie? It's going to be in that non-financial information. It's going to be providing more strategic information and reporting. I, I think that's where the future has to lie for us and we have to move that way quickly.
0: Another quote from Karen McWilliams, she talks about achieving environmental sustainability. We need to have strong corporate standards that are quantifiably enforced, accountants that are trained to accurately and comprehensively measure the sustainability as well. So how do we play a role in that and how likely is it for accountants to change the landscape in which they currently operate in to meet these standards? If we don't really have robust rules around it, then the stakeholders that we're trying to communicate with may get really confused when trying to compare one business with another or one outcome with another. How can we communicate to stakeholders in a way that they have the confidence in what's being reported?
1: Agreed. What I'm trying to sell here is that following the what, the with, and the how will help people to be following the integrated reporting principles, and that links, of course, to ESG. So as we're talking about it, ESG is part of that assessment of of an integrated report or what's being reported on. And mentioned it earlier on, you'll be able to compare like with like with your industry with other industries if they follow the types of principles. Now to have that mandated and have training around it and have requirements is probably a, a step away for us at the moment, but you know, if we as business advisors and, and ones within the business can see the opportunities, I think we'll evolve towards getting better, more comprehensive and more accurate reporting around
2: this. We've got to head that way again. To go beyond the idea of it being, I guess, the stick of compliance, where's the carrot here? And I think we've been talking about it throughout this podcast is that there's benefits there for the organisation itself. There's benefits for the stakeholders. There's opportunities for accountants to move into this space. This could be a new service offering, a new revenue line. I think the carrots are there. I think we've just got to start realising them. And once we once you have a taste, I think more and more accountants will start getting into it.
0: Darren, for our listeners out there, can you name any big businesses where we can go and actually have a look, download or view online? An example of really good integrated reporting?
1: Aussie Post is a really good one and I do know three or four years ago they had a one-page picture which I just loved of how their business works. CBUS is a superannuation fund in Australia based in Melbourne and I supported them on their journey initially to deal with integrated reporting as another good one. The banks, ANZ, NAB, they follow this Booper globally have an excellent report. You can download all these reports to have a look at them, and it gives you the flavour of what you need to do at the SME space, is the sort of things they're talking about.
0: And Anse, have you got any examples here in New Zealand that you could share with our listeners?
2: Similarly, we've got New Zealand Post, they're government owned, and they're doing, they're making a real shift towards being more sustainable. And I know they're working closely with the social enterprise community. We've got a program here called Forward, which is all about developing social procurement. So organisations jumping on board thinking, if we're going to spend our money, how can we spend it with socially responsible organisations? Well, we don't have necessarily, I'm not too sure, from an integrated reporting perspective. What I am seeing is social enterprise suppliers jumping on board with this programme so that they themselves can kind of get the get the certification, get the mark to go, yeah, we're a socially good business. And if you do business with us, it's helping you fulfil your own social procurement policy.
1: I'm going to be in trouble here because I forgot to mention one wonderful organisation that follows integrated reporting and that's Chartered Accounts Australia and New Zealand. So download the annual accounts and you'll see that they've followed IR and there is ESG reporting in there as well. So there's been a lot of time spent on those financial statements and I hope you'll find them an interesting and easy read following the IR principles.
0: So it's safe to say Darren that at the moment we're right at the beginning of this journey It's not something to be fearful of, it's something to be really interested in, to have a look at what best practice is so far and tell the story within each business the way it should be told rather than have a standard adopted around it.
1: Very well said. Yeah, it is. It is. I, October is when I started on this. There's a group of us that meet every couple of months now, and we're just spreading the word. That's why I'm really grateful for this opportunity, the conference I talk to, the discussion groups. I'm just going to get it out there more and more and more and start also sharing examples of where I are with ESG within it is being reported in a good way.
0: And Ant, you were working a lot with small to medium-sized businesses in New Zealand. I'm a public practitioner, I'm sitting here thinking, how do I take this back to my other principals, my other directors, and say, I'd love to start doing this. What should I be telling them to do first?
2: You really do need a champion, and I'm a bit of a believer in ask for forgiveness instead of ask for permission. So perhaps it's just about going out there to one or two of your really close clients and running it with them for a bit, then going back to your other principals and going, hey, look, we've just tried this With a couple of clients, this is the feedback they're getting, this is the feedback their customers are giving and their stakeholders. I reckon this could be something we could roll out. And then you're sort of getting a run on the board as opposed to, here goes a hypothetical thing that I'd like to do. Sometimes you might be battling uphill depending on where the other principles are at.
1: It's a good point, Ants. So I'm working with the Stroke Foundation. Through Deakin University, so Deakin University here in Melbourne actually has an integrated reporting business that it that it lectures in, so you can actually do the studies there. A client of mine is RSL branch in Victoria here, and they're looking at going an integrated report starting the journey. This year's report won't meet all of the IR requirements, but they are starting that journey. So next year they'll adopt more and they'll adopt more. So it doesn't have to be done overnight, but the principles will apply. So I fully agree. I've taken this on as a a personal thing that I'm doing rather than just at Grand Thornton, and I'm hoping that more and more clients will come on board as they realise the opportunities. Really good point. Thank you.
0: One of the key messages we're trying to give our listeners out there is that through the storytelling and through the integrated reporting, we can really provide insights and advice to our business clients on how to tell their story in new and exciting ways.
2: Agreed. Absolutely.
0: Thanks again to Darren Scammell, former President of Chartered Accountants Australia and New Zealand and now partner at Grant Thornton and Ant Rowan, Director at Fairground Limited, for spending time on Small Firm Big Impact today. Thank you to you both.
1: Thank you, John. Pleasure. Thanks, John.
0: So my key takeaways from today's podcast are to keep an open mind... That this is a journey. ESG is all about intent. Add value through storytelling. Shift your client's perception on value. And just get in and give it a go. So that's it for this episode of Small Firm Big Impact. But make sure you join me next time as I chat with Kelly Chard, founder and director of GrowthMD, and Brad Turville, director of Modern Firm Practices, as we investigate how to find the sweet spot of specialisation and the big questions you should ask yourself. And of course, don't forget to head over to my CA and join the Catalyst community and check out the fantastic resources that your membership with CA ANZ gives you access to. It's also worth heading over to the CA Catalyst section of the CA ANZ website where you can find practical resources like case studies and playbooks. Of course, there's also the library and the tools and resources hub with plenty of practical information and great insights to support you in practice. And lastly, my personal favourite, LinkedIn Learning, which is free to CA's and it's tailored to personal learning needs. This has been Small Firm, Big Impact. I'm John Skoll. Speak with you again soon.